Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. In today's episode, we have Chris Elston, a father of two girls aged 9 and 11 who lives near Vancouver, Canada. Chris is an insurance broker turned full-time activist because he felt compelled to raise awareness about what he considers to be a medical scandal affecting the health of thousands of children. I welcome Chris Elston to Savage Minds. Thank you. I'm very new to coming to know about you and your actions. I read about your activism yeah. on social media and your latest brush up last week with the activists in Montreal, which we'll get to shortly. But I wanted yeah. to start with, if you could tell our listeners about how you got involved in your activism and what your activism entails. Oh boy. So I got involved last September, um, all last year and for a while in 2019, I was uh, becoming much more acutely aware of what's going on with all the various gender extremist actions happening in Canada, the erasure of the definition of the word woman, um, the gender ideology being taught in our schools to our children. I have two little girls aged nine and 11, and I became very concerned about the transgender craze seducing our daughters, to borrow the title from Abigail Schreier's book. But... What happened last year in the summer is Posey Parker in Scotland put up a poster at the Edinburgh train station that said, I heart JK Rowling. And it got taken down the next day. And they did a freedom of information request. And it revealed that there hadn't even been any formal complaints. But just because some people complained on Twitter or wherever, they buckled to pressure and took down this poster and I just got so tired of the censorship. I really didn't like all the abuse that was being hurled at J.K. Rowling. Um, I've been reading Harry Potter with my daughter at bedtime for about a year now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had just had enough of everything. So I decided to put up a billboard here in Vancouver. I'm in the suburbs, but I put one up in Vancouver. It said, I heart J.K. Rowling. It uh, went up on September 11th. And then... It got covered up the next day because a Vancouver city councillor by the name of Sarah Kirby Young uh, said it was hate speech. And so the big sign company in Canada is called Patterson Outdoor. It's owned by a billionaire named Jimmy Patterson. And they just didn't want to deal with any of the heat. They didn't want to talk about it. They just buckled to the pressure and covered it up. So then I went on Twitter and there was so much outrage. This had made news a little bit around the world and I just said on Twitter if you want to do this in your city I'll help and I'll do the work and I'll take all the heat I just need help with funding because I'm not a super rich guy and uh, right away a woman in Silicon Valley reached out and she sent me some money and I needed a bit more so I raised the rest from Canadians that day and within a week we had another billboard up in San Francisco. Did this company reimburse you? They did. Yes. So that was the silver lining. Um, and so then uh, a wealthy businessman in the United States reached out and we ended up doing billboards all across Utah. Did one in Los Angeles and Portland, Oregon. I did a separate project where I raised about $12,000 and did I heart JK Rowling screens throughout the Washington DC Metro network. And then finished off that campaign with a billboard in Times Square. 
So that was a pretty good campaign, but I didn't want to stop there because I'm just really tired of the censorship. And when you start down this road and you start reading everything and understanding everything that's going on, you can't unlearn it. <laughs> and I just felt compelled to try to raise awareness about this issue because it's harming our children. So I thought, well, they might be able to take down my billboard in Vancouver, but if I wear a sign, they can't take it off my back because it's not hate speech. And so I had some signs made. One sign said, gender ideology does not belong in schools. And my other sign at that time said, I heart JK Rowling. And I just started hanging out downtown Vancouver on wherever it was busy, just having conversations with anyone who wanted to have them. Um, and the signs I wear now, my, you know, my biggest issue is what's happening to children. So I wear a sign that says children cannot consent to puberty blockers. I've been wearing that since, I guess, later in October, I had those made. And I've traveled back east a couple of times, Eastern Canada to Ottawa, which is our capital, because I want to try to get through to some politicians. And I've been to Toronto a couple of times now and Montreal a couple of times which is where this attack happened the other day. But uh, for me, this is sort of a faith-based approach, not from a religious angle, but I just have faith that if I have enough conversations with people, eventually we reach people who can do something to change things because people just don't understand what's going on because they've never heard about it because the media refuse to report on it. Just like this attack in Montreal, not one single mainstream media outlet have reported on it. Several other outlets and podcasters and all sorts of people um, have been reaching out. So it, it is making a lot of news. Um, I've got some big radio appearances coming up in the United States and Russia's reporting on it, which is probably, I feel a little uh, conflicted about that because it's kind of doing the bidding for Vladimir Putin, RT today but it also reaches a few million people and it's, it's the truth. So I really don't care which platform it's on. If we're telling the truth and reaching a lot of people, that's all I'm interested in because you never know um, when you make ripples and you make little waves, you never know where those lead to. So um, yeah. So I'm really thankful that you're having me on your program. I remember the billboards going up last fall and I thought, oh, this is great. Someone's, you know, doing a posy over on the other side. And this struck me because one thing about your mini billboards that I think are brilliant, children cannot consent to puberty, puberty blockers, plus the ones you've had more recently with the definition of well, father and uh, dad, I think it was, and woman, is what you and Posey have demonstrated effectively is that a simple definition annoys the hell out of certain people. And that what you're pointing to, I mean, hers was a textbook definition and is a textbook definition of women, where yours is pointing to a truism of medical ethics that children cannot consent to puberty blockers. You have, you have gotten so many violent reactions from people, yeah. which I find <laughs> both shocking in a, in a very grotesque way like what's wrong with people yeah. and on the yeah. other hand you've put your finger in the wound as it were the saint thomas pointing to jesus's wound in the side why mm. 
is this happening? Why are people reacting so violently to your, your statements? So the vast majority of people on the streets don't feel that way. The vast majority are in agreement, but there is a, of course, in a, in a city of any size, there's a huge number of people who are violently opposed. And when people read my signs, children cannot consent to puberty blockers, they just jump to conclusions instantly. They don't really know anything about puberty blockers. They just assume that I must be some terrible transphobe. And I guess empathy for people with gender dysphoria today uh, with some of these people on the streets means that they should just be yelling and screaming at me in the hopes that that will silence me or make me go away. But um, there's, it's really striking because there's such a, such a incredible breadth of belief among the young generation, 25 and under, in this ideology, they've just been completely taken in by it. And there's also a striking difference even between the sexes. And um, when you think about it, it makes sense because Abigail Schreier's book is called Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. It is overwhelmingly affecting young girls, either socially transitioning or physically transitioning. And so every young woman really knows other young women who have transitioned and of course they want to be they want to have empathy for these girls and these young women and i think in universities there's a lot of these gender studies classes now which are almost completely dominated by women who are taking these classes and believe it or not i mean it goes contrary to what you would think but uh, most of the hate i get on the street comes from young women, uh, overwhelmingly so, and young men are a lot more supportive. Um, of course, there are always exceptions to that, but there's really a striking divide between the sexes on who believes in this ideology. And so I'm just out there to have conversations with people. I'm not there to debate with aggressive people or try to change hearts and minds. I'm just there talking to people who've really never heard about this stuff before because parents are getting completely blindsided. Their children are coming home. These kids are uh, having this, these cases of rapid onset gender dysphoria. Parents are getting completely blindsided by it. They don't know what's getting taught in our schools because our school curriculums have completely changed in the last four or five years. And in fact, in British Columbia and Alberta, our neighboring province, in BC, it was in a single afternoon that this new school curriculum was just snuck through Parents had no idea. There was never any consultation with parents. And so children are now being taught gender identity lesson plans as early as kindergarten. And when you take children and you steep them in an environment where they're constantly taught that gender is just an option and even that puberty is an option, and they're told that some of their uh, issues with anxiety or depression or um, feelings of discomfort with puberty are just going to go away if you put them on these drugs that block puberty. Well, if you give kids an option that they can just switch their gender and they think their problems will go away, there's always going to be some kids that take that option. So literally in every school, we have children trans transitioning now. And it just really scared me because I'm a dad and I understand the pain that these parents must be feeling when they uh, 
are having their authority usurped. And so I just felt it was important to have conversations with people and hopefully awareness can spread. So that's all I'm doing. And you document many of your actions on social media, such as this. I walk back to the public square and mm -hmm. I'm hit by Robert Agis, member services representative for the BC government and mm -hmm. service employees union. Immediately I'm grabbed from behind by police, right. handcuffed and taken to jail. My signs were seized as evidence. You post so much of your activism online as if to cover yourself in case anything is taken off, disappeared in case of misrepresentations. How do you see social media as working for or even against you in your activism? I, I'm just doing everything in full transparency. I, I just feel it's important people know what's going on. Uh, because with Twitter, Twitter's kind of interesting because you never know who you're reaching. If one account with 20 or 30,000 followers re retweets it, it goes to all their followers and then some of them might retweet. And so you just never know who you're reaching. And it's just a really great way when used uh, positively, I think, to help to build awareness. So I just do it to build awareness. I think it's important people understand some of the violations of our rights that are going on. They need to know how much we're getting censored. But ultimately, it just it helps to bring in support, create awareness. And I'm all about generating conversation. This whole thing I'm doing, I mean, people call it protesting. And I guess you can call it that, but I'm not out there with a loudspeaker or anything. I just hang out until someone wants to talk to me. And so once if someone wants to talk and has a question, then we'll just have a conversation. And then they go home and they have more conversations. I can see sometimes when I'm standing on a street corner, I see people in their cars kind of mouthing the words, children cannot consent to puberty blockers. And I see them really confused. <laughs> and sometimes people will roll down their windows and say, you know, hey, we thought you were crazy, but we just Googled it. <laughs> and I can't believe this is happening. Because honestly, with most people, it takes five seconds for them to realize that this is absolute madness. Because why are we blocking puberty in kids? It's nuts. I have people that are uh, maybe hostile to me who will even tell me sometimes, well, if children can't consent to puberty blockers, how can they consent to puberty? <laughs> and I just laugh because it's so crazy, but they honestly believe this. I've had people compare puberty to cancer, telling me that, well, cancer is natural. But, you know, and it's just, it's just wild, the, the leaps that people make. I don't understand how we've gotten to this point where we feel it's okay to just stop the development of perfectly healthy children's bodies using an experimental drug. It's never been approved for this purpose. It was approved also for a condition called precocious puberty. It's where for girls, they enter puberty before the age of seven, for boys before the age of nine. But in that case, I mean, that's an extremely rare condition, but in that case, they would come off these drugs before they should be having puberty at a normal age and then go through puberty. But what we're doing is just stopping all of their bone development, all their secondary sex sex characteristics, we're just stopping the whole thing. And it's presented as a fully reversible treatment or a pause button. But if you put a young girl on puberty blockers from the age of 12 to 17, let's say, and then she comes off, my question for people when they tell me it's fully reversible is always, 
is there a magic time machine where we get to go back in time five years and then go through puberty? Because all those years of development are now lost. And when you look at every single study we have from the gender clinics themselves, like in the Tavistock, at the Tavistock in the UK, their own study showed 98% of children who started on puberty blockers then went on to the opposite sex hormones. So it's never just the puberty blockers. It's always, that's always a start of a medical pathway, which leads to the opposite sex hormones, which lead to further damage because for women, after several years on testosterone, they often have to get a hysterectomy. So we're sterilizing these kids. We are sterilizing children with an experimental drug that has zero clinical trials done for the purpose that it's being used. It's also shocking. I'm sure you've, you've found this out that it's unknown to so many people within certain fields, even within human rights. I'll give you an example. I, I worked with someone from Human Rights Watch about 11 years ago when I was in Haiti. I was doing work on child traffic, investigating okay. it, uncovering it, its links to the government. It was really nasty. Then I found someone in Human Rights Watch who informed me about witnessing child trafficking at the Dominican border with Haiti, reporting this and having it covered up by that organization. Okay. Mm. Now, this person has gone on to be part of another organization, a very infamous new human rights organization. I posted in a thread about this new organization, I said, one of the things we should be looking into is not just you know human rights conflicts that say in Myanmar or in DRC Congo, but this. And I do feel like when Western NGOs start getting their machinations in order to focus on the next human rights disaster, they look everywhere but at home. And, and this is something that is on par with child trafficking, in my opinion. Yeah. It seems a lot less pernicious to people because they see parents doing it. So it can't possibly be as bad. It's sort of the way that people viewed uh, date rape as somehow not as rapey as grabbing the bush rape. And I find this all very disconcerting because, sure, there are hues and there are tones to different forms of violence. But this is a, a state medical and media enacted violence I underscore constantly media's role in this because I don't think the Tavistock is getting so many patients and parents coming to them for the rubber stamping of approval if it weren't for publications like The Guardian and The Independent who have unscrupulously published article after article by non-experts, by trans people as experts, which is insane. Um, saying like, you know, the fox owl commentary that was running for a few years. I'm happy. I'm out and out proud. And there's no, no criticism of what's going on. The infiltration in the same area as these two commentators live, Brighton Hove area, uh, the schools have been infiltrated. In fact, Brighton Hove is the epicenter of trans and kids in the UK. It's well documented. If you see... The late, yeah, it's it's really amazing. Um, if if you see the latest BBC series, uh, that's been I think it's been running now for <clears throat> a few weeks, that was produced by Adam Curtis. Uh, watch that. There is a section in part number four where he's 
he's talking about some of the cultural madness going on. He uses transgender ideology as part of this. And it all is focused on the Brighton Hove area there back in the 70s. So we're seeing where geographical sites of wokeness, hence you're noticing LA, Portland, and Utah, which we'll get to in a minute as well, um, for your, your signs. Uh, wokeness is sprouting up in places where you have a concentration in the US and Canada of elite Ivy League educated people. So of course in Montreal, the wokeness has been there at McGill. I used to teach at the Université de Montréal. It was less prevalent there because of Francophone issues are often not at all enmeshed, especially in Canada with Anglophone issues, but it was very close behind and it has since uh, entered the classroom. I've had colleagues from both that university and UCAM, Université Quebec à Montréal, tell me about how wokeness has infected the classroom where you know, they've actually been insulted when a friend of mine said she was called a bitch by one of her students in class saying, you're just a white bitch. What can you teach me? Right. Um, and and so we have this idea of, of students becoming clients, hence they can abuse professors, hence they can enforce woke gender ideology, hence granting operations from all over Canada, all over the US, in England, these Anglophone countries, they're churning out one multi-thousand dollar grant, even in the tone of hundreds of thousands of dollars and pounds to do research on gender ideology. All this is in quotes. And not one of these people to this day can actually demonstrate what it is. Because as you've noticed, Chris, no, no one agrees within their own camp what gender, they don't even know what gender is. They can't define it. One says it's gender presentation. No, it's gender identity. Oh, but that's different than presentation. Yeah. Oh, it's non-binary. We're defining non-binary identities. What are they? Oh, any number of the Baskin Robbins flavors. Oh, but no, but there's more. It's any day, any minute of the day. It's another one. It's your own subjectivity. So again, this is all code for, we don't know what we're saying. Um, the rehashing uh, of badly interpreted Judith Butler, which a, her first book, you know, Gender Trouble, never was about uh, morphing the body. It was never about what's happening today. And yet, okay, badly written book. So let's just say people read a badly written book and drew from it what they wished to this madness that has now encroached upon the media becoming cheerleaders for both medical establishments, big pharma, and all of this within a package that were I a Martian landing on earth today, I would think was a religion, honestly. It's, it is a religion. It's, a, it's completely a religion. I keep saying this, I call it a pseudo religion, but that's what it is. They believe in a gendered soul essentially. There's no such thing. They believe in a boy brain or a girl brain. There's no such thing. There's no, there's no science at all to support this. So gender dysphoria is a real thing. And we need to help these children, help these adults that, that have gender dysphoria. But what's going on today isn't really gender dysphoria with these youth. It's a craze. Um, and it's kind of being treated as an for 
but genuine gender dysphoria starts early in life, persists throughout their childhood, and um, you know, we just we've gone away from we've become completely away from science. We've let angry activists cow us all into submission, and they present their falsities as though they're facts and all of our politicians just don't dare cross the transgender lobby because then they're seen as being hateful to the LGBT community, but LGB and T really have nothing to do with each other. There's a little bit of a relation there, but sexuality and gender identity should not be conflated because they're really two totally different things. And uh, it's a, it's a little bit of a nuanced issue. We need to be able to talk about these things and our society's just gotten so violent where words and opinions equal violence. Um, I'm 45 years old, it wasn't always like this. And I just see children coming to harm, parents don't know what to do. And so, yeah, I just had a moment one day where I thought, well, there is a lot of talk going on online, on Twitter, mostly from feminists, which is tremendous, it's great, but we're not reaching the average person on the street at all. Because unless you're in these little echo chambers on Twitter, most people aren't even on Twitter. And if you are, most people aren't on gender critical Twitter. So I just felt it was important to get this to the masses because moms and dads and construction workers and whoever walking down the street, they don't know about any of this stuff. They it doesn't affect them yet, but it might one day because it is now it with lightning speed spreading throughout our education systems and our universities. And parents have no idea because it was never like this for them. And so we have to be able to talk about it. I just always think, why can't we talk about issues? Why can't we just talk? And so that's what I'm trying to do. And yeah, it's a little bit violent out there, but I'm not going to stop because as I've been doing this, I get more and more passionate about it all the time. And I was pretty passionate about it when I started. I really felt compelled to do it. But I've talked to so many parents now, probably a couple hundred parents of children. It's the same story all the time and they feel helpless. Just the other day in Kingston, Ontario, I met with this really great, successful businessman, nice guy, just a super loving, genuine man. And he's losing his 14-year-old daughter to this ideology. And once these kids have been indoctrinated, it's really hard to get the truth into them because they just think their parents are dinosaurs and they're not progressive and they don't understand because all these youth think that the world is progressing and parents just don't get it. And almost always these kids have something else going on. There's always depression or anxiety. A lot of these kids have autism. There's usually some underlying factor. Most of these kids are going to grow up to be gay or lesbian. And so we're actually doing conversion therapy on an entire generation of young gays and lesbians. But when you tell this to the woke trans activists, they will accuse you of everything from being cisphobic, whatever that means, mm -hmm. um, to being guilty of trying to kill them. How do we push mm -hmm. back on this when you, you live in an area that's really wild? Because yeah. uh, I am a fellow, well, I'm non-binary citizen, but I'm, I am Canadian. And one thing that has shocked me 
is seeing what's happened with is it ogre o-g-e-r morgan yeah uh, OJ, I like, yeah. yeah i was like well the ogre. R-E, yeah the ogre or oj <laughs> you know I'm, I'm not sure if he pronounces it in the french way or the maybe the uh, non-binary way i don't know og oj x his work has been really destructive to women's rights. In fact, mm-hmm. you mentioned feminists, but feminists have been on the forefront of this. And I've been documenting this for many years now because it was a feminist in London who informed me about what was going on. And my first reaction was, you know, get the hell out of here. You know, like, I'm like, mm-hmm. no, yep. no. Like okay. I was, that was me, 2012. I was like, no, I thought, no, she's nuts. You know, and of course I was completely proven wrong because I, I immediately went home to go and Google and read and be like, no, uh, no, no, she was right. And so this kind of stuff really, it shocked me. And I think everyone's had their, that moment, that moment of no, you got, no, you're, you're in drugs, you know? And in Canada, you guys have it the worst, as you probably know, our country is now called Tranada. So yeah. What's really troubling to me is with people like uh, Ojex and is Yaniv also there? Or Yaniv's further east, right? No, Yaniv is right here. We have the three, three of the worst right here. And Yaniv is actually a big part of how I got involved in this because I became aware of his harassment of women in my community because he just lives about 25 minutes away from me. So last January in 2020, I went to a court hearing for Yaniv and there was a recess. His hearing hadn't started yet. And I met a woman named Amy Ham, who is a pretty well-known feminist in Canada. And she asked me, like she introduced herself and she asked me if I had seen where Yaniv had gone because she just had to use the washroom. And I was mistaken. I thought he'd gone further down the corridor, but she went to use the washroom. She opened the door. Yaniv was right there at the mirror with his mother. And so she immediately just shut the door and backed out and came back down the corridor in the courthouse. So nothing happened. It was no big deal. But five minutes later, Yaniv came storming down the corridor. I witnessed this whole thing, screaming at her. He had three court sheriffs and an RCMP officer with him. And he was accusing Amy of taking his picture in the women's washroom. So the court sheriff actually looked at Amy's phone to see. And of course, there were no pictures there. And then Yaniv went on social media and said he'd been sexually assaulted, had to go to a rape shelter. I mean, this person's just deeply, deeply mentally ill, right? But it's very, it was very stressful for her. And I wanted to help her because I witnessed it. And Yaniv filed a police complaint and everything. So I was trying to talk to the police officer and it took them three months to clear her name when they could have cleared her name in about two seconds flat just by looking at the CCTV footage because there's a camera near the entrance of the washrooms that just shows she opened the door, she closed the door, and that was it. I just thought, man, this guy's right in my backyard. And another thing is, one of I live, I have a house out in the suburbs, and I rent out my basement suite for a little while. In my basement suite, there was a physiotherapist there with her uh, one-year-old daughter for about a year, and Yaniv went to see her one day for some physio, and there was a problem with the table that he laid down on. Maybe it was his weight that broke the table. But he had to move to another table. And then he sued her, stating that he was, you know, gravely injured because this table had a problem. I mean, it's just all a load of bollocks. But anyway, she paid him $2,000 just to make him go away. This guy's just 
he's honestly the biggest menace in all of Canada. And he lives 20 minutes away from me. So I just got tired of all the bullying and how he kind of gets a free pass because of being apparently transgender. And uh, I just took more of an interest in all this stuff and kept reading more and more and more last year. And I eventually got to a point where I had enough. <laughs> well, for our listeners who don't know who Jonathan Yaniv is, Google him, wax my balls. Megan Murphy's mm-hmm. done a load of stuff on him as well. But between Yaniv and Ogre, and mm-hmm. who's the third person you were referring to as well in the trifecta? Nicholas Burling. Nicholas Burling, J.K. Rowling actually threatened to sue in 2020 because Nicholas Burling who gets on our media in the morning on like morning news programs, because of course they're all looking for a transgender woman to come on the media because mainstream media want to look inclusive and all that. Um, Nicholas Burling said that JK Rowling couldn't be trusted around children. And so JK threatened to sue Nicola and Nicola was forced to take down his tweets and issued some half-baked apology but uh, yeah, they're just, and he's, Nicola's constantly trying to get people canceled. It seems like what this person has done has been a projection of what the trans lobby is doing. They're not safe around children. We haven't seen this before. I mean, you know, the trans lobby likes to compare themselves to the gay rights movement. I'm, I'm part of the gay rights movement. We were never, not for a second, on the streets trying to control people's language. We were never Mm -hmm. trying to do anything more than in the 80s. It was about getting AIDS treatment for men in the U.S. to get FDA approval of AIDS drugs and to get human rights for people that say man lost his partner to AIDS. A lot of this surrounded AIDS, by the way, of course, but and he lost his lease on his flat in, you know, a Manhattan uh, brownstone. It was about human rights. It was about civil rights. It was never about we're actually heterosexual. So you have to call me and my girlfriend heterosexual. And that's sort of how I compare this to the trans movement, you know, because they use, it's an apple and oranges situation. It's not even apple and orange. It's more like apple and turkey because there is no comparison. And then of course they come back to, oh, but once upon a time, you were part of the DSM. Absolutely true. Once upon a time, homosexuality had a huge section of the diagnostic statistics manual for what psychiatrists used. And there is a lot to say about social sciences. There's a lot to say about psychiatry and how the DSM has even morphed around the trans lobby because it took gay lobbyists to get it out of the DSM, homosexuality. But we have to also make a distinction between the free choice of people to be attracted to someone of the same sex and getting rubber stamped because there's incredible peer and media pressure to come out for parents to feel like they're good parents. I mean, you know, there's been no sociological follow-up as to why all these parents are wanting to be approved by their children, because that's the other side of this, right? Our parents who are so desperate to seek their child's approval that they won't say no or, or they won't say, hey, you're a boy. Stop that. You want to wear a dress? Wear a dress. But no way in hell are you taking these drugs. No way in hell am I going to call you she. And it seems that we've gotten to this point where we're allowing children to run 
the show in every sense of the the word and it has become a show and there's no material-based reality to any of it we go back to the beginning where i said we don't have any proof that there's such a thing as gender identity yes gender dysphoria a very rare issue has been a reality for the past 50 years i mean documented reality but that is not to say that gender dysphoria is a result of having an internal gender that's misaligned. That's the of takeaway course. from the pop lobby. Gender dysphoria, just like, I mean, a kleptomaniac isn't internally a thief. There is no thief identity to a kleptomaniac, right? Uh, or to someone who suffers from Stockholm syndrome. You know, you wouldn't go to a doctor after being kidnapped and, and then be told by that doctor, you should marry your captor. We are given in this rare instance, it's the only time I've seen it in history, where a psychological condition has been remedied by forcing all of society to kowtow to it, where medical institutions, doctors, journalists, I mean, I've suffered because of writing about this, we're told to shut up or be no platformed or to lose work or to lose our medical license and on and on if you don't go along. So my question is, Canada has a human rights law. Canada has freedom of speech, but it also has hate crime legislation. And this sort of conflicts, doesn't it? I haven't gotten in trouble yet because I'm not committing any hate crimes. (laughs) But I hear what you're saying. They're trying to get to that point. And the way they're going, they'll introduce legislation to make what I'm doing probably a hate crime. But... There's been a lot of money spent altering reality for the past 20 odd years, uh, led by a few billionaire trans women named Jennifer Pritzker, Martine Rothblatt. Um, There's a man named John Stryker who runs the Arcus Foundation in the US. He has two main causes. Uh, The Great Ape is one of them. And the other one is this transgender issue. And he's donated hundreds of millions of dollars. Martine Rothblatt is a transhumanist who has had a robot made in the image of his wife. And he believes that he will be able to upload her consciousness into this robot one day. And so he believes that humans can essentially live forever. So this is where we get into the religious realm of this, the gendered soul. He really does think, and a lot of people think this, that your physical body is irrelevant because it's truly what you are on the inside, as though you're some soul occupying this body, and that's where your innate gender comes from. And so they've spent a lot of money, and they're very strategic about it. They fund hospitals. They fund these gender clinics. At the University of Victoria, Jennifer Pritzker endowed that university with a few million dollars to have a chair in transgender studies. Of all the places I've been, there is nowhere as crazy as Victoria, British Columbia, which is our capital of BC. It's just wild over there because there's been so much outreach into that community and it's a bit of a university town too. The hatred and stuff I get over there, you just wouldn't believe. It's incredible. And there's an organization there called Island Sexual Health and they do a thousand workshops a year in schools and in the community. And they can't even use words like woman, mom, dad, because those terms are too gendered. And so we have this entire generation of young people over here who from a very early age now are getting completely brainwashed. 
And there's been a lot of money behind this. They've been very strategic funding these things. These billionaires created the WPATH organization, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. They have created manuals to be used around the world by lobbyists, which train them how to influence government. So they actually write the legislation for these governments and then propose it before governments can write legislation themselves. And they just are very effective at lobbying foolish politicians who don't know the first thing about this, but just want to be seen as inclusive. And so one by one, they slowly started making gains. And it's gotten to a point now where all these governments across the Western world have just completely bought into a lie. And just like that, in a relative heartbeat, our society, our culture has shifted overnight where we've all embraced this pseudo-religion. And it's frightening. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. One of the things that struck me is that so many people are not aware that when you start discussing things like conversion therapy, and I didn't put a prefix to that because there's the two types. Is it gay conversion therapy or is it the anti-transgender conversion therapy? Because they're at odds, as you noticed, and has been quite well documented with the increase of girls being referred to the Tavistock in the UK. The majority of youth being referred to gender identity clinics are now female in most every country in Anglophone countries. And this is now a problem because most of these girls are in fact lesbians. So we are, instead of praying the gay away, as was the case before the 1980s, we are now transing the gay away. And this is hardly progressive. And going back to the list you mentioned, Stryker, Rothblatt, Pritzker, you know, Pritzker also funded uh, gender clinics, has been funding gender clinics in Boston. Boston's become an epicenter in the U.S. for child transition. Hence, Mermaids UK. Where did Susie Green go with her son? Thailand and next stop, Boston. Would you think that Susie Green faces any charges in the U.K. for doing that? Meanwhile, what's the difference between what Susie Green did to her son and what any Muslim parent did to their daughter and this is atrocious because you have two measuring sticks in the uk how that parent is treated when they return from let's say somalia with a child who's been mutilated as opposed to susie green we're seeing you know where your kind of activism is extremely necessary and i'm so happy to see men getting involved over the last few years because we need it you took a beating recently. And I wanted to know if you could speak to what happened to you in Montreal, because this is where we need men, not because we want you to get beaten up, but because you are stronger. What you suffered would probably have shattered me twice as much. Yeah. So I was on Rue St. Catherine, which is the busiest street in Montreal. A man came out with me, another man named Chris, pretty big guy. And we were just hanging out, walking up this, we walked to 
Concordia. There were people everywhere. It was teeming with people because, because it was about you in Montreal, so everyone was trying to get all their stuff done. But uh, it was pretty peaceful in Montreal. I don't get as much hate in Vancouver, not even close from the average person on the street. Most just ignore me. But um, we walked down the street and then we kind of circled back and we were coming back down. And someone outside a liquor store stopped me to ask, what are puberty blockers? And so I had a conversation. And then a young woman right behind got extremely mad at me and went into the store and complained to the manager. And the manager came out and wanted me to leave. And I just said, I'm not leaving. I'm just having conversations here. And he said, I'll call the police. And I said, okay, <laughs> that's fine. I talk to police everywhere I go. It always happens. So anyway, then some people behind me wanted to talk. And this person behind me literally said to me, if children can't consent to puberty blockers, how can they consent to puberty? <laughs> and I just laughed because Honestly, it's so crazy to say that. It's not even worth engaging. But someone else did. Someone, another member of the public engaged. And so I was just talking to Chris and we were just hanging out. And out of nowhere from the road, I had maybe one second to react. I don't know how many people there were still. Maybe the police will tell me. They've reviewed the CCTV footage, but it was five or six or seven. My friend Chris had said seven, but I think it was more like five or six. And they were immediately on me, ripping my signs off of me, punching me in the face. I took a pretty big punch to the back of my head. And uh, I had a body cam on my sign. I clip it onto my sign to protect myself. And also to, if people let me post conversations, sometimes I, sh I will upload the conversations and post them on Twitter just so people can see what it's like out on the streets and what the average person's response is. But um, they took my body cam, which was too bad. And so, oh, that was just crazy. One guy went out to the street, stomped on the sign. I think he stomped on the camera. Um, and he disappeared somewhere. I don't know if they came out of a car or what, but we started to retreat and we were walking down the sidewalk. And I had the presence of mind to get out my phone and start filming because I wanted to capture their identities for the police. And they kept trying to knock the phone out of my hand and pushing me and all that. And we just kept walking away. And this one guy kept coming at me and he grabbed a large traffic cone that happened to be there. And I wasn't too worried about it because it's just a plastic cone, but it probably weighs about eight or 10 pounds. And the base of it is pretty thick and heavy. And if you swing something hard enough and it's dense enough, it'll do damage. So he kind of swung it like an ax trying to hit me. And I blocked it with my left forearm. And then he did it again and I blocked it again. And I did that four times. So it was a premeditated attack. Sure seems like it. And it backfired spectacularly because media all, the, all over the world have picked it up. And so, you know what? I'll take, I'll take a broken bone any day of the week if we reach this many people with this message. Because even as I was sitting in the hospital, um, I think Linda Blade messaged me. She speaks out about these these issues affecting women's sport. She sent me a message and she said, Chris, you know, you're, you're paying too high of a price. And I just said, no, it's okay. This is nothing compared to what's happening to our kids. You know, a, a young girl who gets a double mastectomy at the age of 14 is going through a lot more than me just getting a little broken bone. So if this is the price I have to pay 
for this message to reach a few million more people, like that's fine. I'm fine with that. It is scary because, you know, they just came with pylons in their fists. And if they come with something more than that, that's a little frightening, but I don't think anyone wants to go to jail for me. If they do, they're welcome to it, but uh, I'm not going to stop talking. And they broke your arm then? Yeah, my arm broke. Blocking the, the base of that pylon is pretty thick and heavy, so one of those blows broke my forearm. But it'll heal, just a bone. And have the police found the people that attacked you? I haven't heard anything. They reviewed CCTV footage from one of the businesses, so they saw the whole assault. I was only able to capture the end of it with my cell phone. But they were going to go back on Saturday to review the footage from the liquor store. There was a camera there that had a better angle. Because I'm not sure if they came out of a car or what, but hopefully they can identify them and arrest them. But I haven't had any updates yet. And has... Have you been contacted by many others since this happened, especially parents? Because I also get emails from parents all the time, especially in Canada, saying, do you have any recommendations of programs that are not telling us to put our kids on puberty blockers? We're very concerned. We voiced our concerns and we were called transphobic. These kinds of emails. I've, I, I, I do get them kind of all the time, a little bit. But the last few days, there's just been an avalanche of people reaching out. I couldn't keep up. I haven't even had time to thank everyone uh, for sending kind messages. And I spent four and a half hours on a plane just thanking people basically for kind messages. So I'll get to them all eventually. But um, I've had so many different media outlets reach out and I've had random, random dads reaching out that had never heard about this issue who now want to come stand with me because you know, it's very scary for women to do this. That was my, that's what upset me more than anything. Because women were starting to come out and hang out with me and have these conversations on the street. And they were seeing that it's not that scary because 99.9% .9 of the time it's not. And you know what, there are still ways to do it safely. Like you don't have to be in a big city on a Friday night where there is an Antifa contingent. If you're in the suburbs, you know, you can arrange a protest with people, get some men out there, go into your city, wherever, get a group and just go have these conversations. Uh, like just think ways around it. Instead of thinking of reasons not to do something, we all need to think of ways that we can do something. But what's been really encour encouraging is that men are reaching out and they, from all over Canada, and they say, when you're in our city, we are gonna come and stand with you. So I'm not taking much of a break in two days, I'm heading out on a road trip again. Um, it's going to be some a family road trip. So we're going to do some fun stuff, but I'm going to do some protesting on my own because I can't do a lot right now anyway with my arm, but I can certainly talk. And men all over the place are offering to come out with me. So this movement is, this street movement is going to keep growing and people are becoming aware. And what these Antifa members really did is they did all of us a huge favor by coming at me because the news of what's happening to our kids and our women has reached so many more people now.
Well, it's it's interesting that you, you know, you have on your Twitter feed your support of J.K. Rowling. One thing I noticed the other day when I was reading through your feed is that there are some women pushing back on one of your videos. I saw the oh, video. I, you know which one I'm talking about. And I saw nothing yeah. wrong with it. And to the contrary, you were on the street. It looked like Ottawa, if I had to guess. No, that's in Victoria. Oh, okay. That was, Sorry. Yeah. And you were filming, it seemed to be from her accent, an Australian woman clad in a yellow raincoat yeah. who identified yeah. herself as a gender consultant. Right. You posted this with the video saying, if Bill C-6 makes it criminal offense to try to convert someone's gender identity, yeah. can we charge teachers and counselors who tell our girls they might be boys? Personally, I'd yeah. love to file private prosecutions against a few gender consultants and endocrinologists. So I saw the yeah. clip and you were in a very public street in the day. It was overcast, but it was in the day. And one woman wrote, you were following this woman home mm -hmm. uh, a bit hyperbole, <laughs> uh, you know, There's in all uh, sorts my of, opinion. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, I've been victim to this as well. I was working on a very uh, big piece on the what I call the pyramid industry in the UK for academic financing of these nonsensical grants. So I was writing a piece on Davina Cooper and Sally Hines. I had told a woman that I was working on this piece. She organized with other feminists. These are women who are gender critical. <laughs> uh, they went and met with Davina Cooper to warn her of my article, which was a little silly because the first person I told about writing the piece was in fact Davina Cooper, a researcher in London who received 750 thousand pounds approximately to do bogus research. I say bogus because even in what's online of their declaration, intent of research, methodology, it's rubbish. It would never have even passed scrutiny in Canada, this kind of recycling of binned language. Everything has polysyllables, but it doesn't make sense kind of nonsense. So I was mm -hmm. like, wait a sec, you are one of the top feminist decriers of gender ideology, and you went not only behind my back, you could have just been honest, but I found out from another person who was present at the meeting, you and your cronies went to warn a woman because they see women as somehow innocent, even if they're on board with this nonsense. And I find these oh. to be own goals. If women, including feminists, cannot understand that criticizing a woman in an open street, downtown Victoria or anywhere, by anyone, you're a man, but so what? She's giving poison well, to the machine. Why are women criticizing you for doing something that had I done, I wouldn't have been. But let me just clarify exactly what happened there. Um, so I was hanging out on a street corner by the legislature in BC, in Victoria, which is the craziest town I've ever been to for this. And so I kind of, when I go there, I stand on this little island between the legislature, right outside the legislature and this really fancy hotel. And so there's lots of foot traffic there and there's a ton of car traffic. And someone was yelling at me from the sidewalk because I stand on this little island um, by the crosswalk. And a couple of people were yelling at me from the sidewalk. And so I was facing them just, uh, you know, listening to them or whatever. And this gender consultant came at me from behind. She didn't have to come to me. But suddenly, I didn't even know she was there. She was screaming at me from behind. And so <laughs> I'm used to this. It happens a lot. And so I turned around and she's there, you know, just yelling at me hysterically and telling me what a bigot I am and all that. And so when 
these psychopathic individuals come to me, I just pull out my phone and I film. And I try to ask questions, maybe sometimes. And so I just started filming. I grabbed up my phone. So I missed the first five seconds of this interaction, but I grabbed my phone and started filming. And as she's yelling at me, I was just filming. And then she told me, I asked if she knew what puberty blockers were. And she said, of course, I know what puberty blockers were, are. I'm a gender consultant at Island Sexual Health. And I thought, whoa, okay. And so I wanted to get a few more questions asked. And so all I did was walk across the crosswalk as she was screaming at me, asking a few questions. But I mean, that was it. <laughs> you know, if you come at and you start screaming at me, I might ask you a few questions. If people take offense to that, I really don't know what to say. Well, it was interesting to see the way it was framed by many women on Twitter as somehow you stalking her. And it, it, it certainly did not read as such. You were in the yeah. middle of what seemed to be a very large street on a crosswalk, both of you crossing. And she came to me and yeah. started harassing me. So I'm sorry, but I don't even, I get, I can all understand where people come from almost, but not really. For me, I don't care if it's a male or female. If you start yelling at me, and you're a gender consultant. So what goes through my brain when I hear gender consultant, what happens is young girls are going to Island Sexual Health, the organization, to see her. Her job is to advise them how to talk to their parents. Her job is to sell them binders and all this stuff. And so I don't care what her sex is. I don't care if it's a male or a female, you're a gender consultant, you are actively engaged in harming our children. And all I did was calmly ask a few questions. First, I asked, do you even know what puberty blockers are? And then she said she was a gender consultant. So I wanted her to educate me. Okay, great, you're a gender consultant. Well, why don't you educate me? And anyway, it's the internet. People are going to attack me because I'm male sometimes. And that's just the way it goes. And that's okay. I just keep going and I try to stay positive. And I'm just ignoring all the negativity because it's honestly not that many people. I'm getting thousands of positive messages. And maybe there were 30 people attacking me. But it's kind of strange when people on my supposed to be on my side are attacking me the same as trans rights activists. Like maybe they want to look at what they're doing a little deeper. It's often the people doing the critiquing who do the less activism. I think we do need to raise this issue to that kind of, of length because people aren't going to get it. Now, I just wanted to ask, what are you being charged with? You've got two arrests, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Oh, boy. Good news. I got a lawyer today. Um, I saw that. So that's great. But so I was arrested at the art gallery. The Vancouver Art Gallery is a, there's a huge public square there. And that's where all the protests go on. So on October 24th, I went downtown and I didn't know there was going to be a protest there that day, but there were about 1500 people there. And I thought, great, I can have a lot of conversations. And so I walked off the sidewalk and I immediately got surrounded by what I am told are a bunch of Antifa members. And there were 20 police officers lined up on the sidewalk because it was a big event. And these people weren't letting me move. So 
I extracted myself from this circle of people around me and I walked over to the police and instantly they blamed me. They said I was instigating, but all I was doing was wearing a sign that said gender ideology does not belong in schools. And I had a sign on my back that said, I heart JK Rowling. So a second time I walked in because police weren't going to do anything. And within a few seconds, my phone got knocked out of my hand, got sent flying. I picked it up. I walked back to the police again. I mean, this time they all said they didn't even see it happen and they were all watching from 20 feet away. But I uh, kind of argued with these police for a couple minutes and they kept telling me, you know, we're telling you not to go into that crowd. And to be honest, I was a bit shocked. I'd only been doing this street activism for a few weeks at that point, maybe three weeks. And I couldn't believe it because there's all these other protesters there. There's the freedom loving people that don't want to wear masks. Um, there was something else going on. And then there was this huge protest for something to do with a lobster fishery in Nova Scotia. I don't even know what it was, but anyway, I couldn't believe that police were blaming me and telling me that I was essentially to blame for these violent people coming at me. And so I debated with them, this one police officer, when I said, I know my rights and I can be present in this public square, something like that. And he said, you can, you can. And then this other officer said to me, this is a safe space. And I didn't understand at the time. <laughs> I thought he meant this is a safe space. What he meant was this is a safe space for them, not for you. And so a third time I walked in, I started to walk into the public square and people were swarming around me. And this man came and he hit me with both his fists kind of in my sign. And the very second he hit me, I was grabbed from behind by police, handcuffed, taken to jail, spent about four hours there, and I've been charged with causing a disturbance. <laughs> you were assaulted and you were arrested, right? Correct. As you were being assaulted. This is insane. Have you raised a complaint with the police ethics boards there? So I'm going to, once my court, my first court date is March 22nd, so it's coming up in a week. And I've got a lawyer now to represent me. Hopefully our Crown Council just throw it out because I have it all on video. I don't have anything to worry about. Uh, in all honesty, I'd probably prefer a trial because that would be great exposure for how our rights are being taken away in order to favor these violent trans rights activists. Um, because I did nothing wrong. I did nothing at all. All I did was walk. And so, I mean, of course, I don't think Crown will, will prosecute, but they also banned me from walking on any of the streets in downtown Vancouver around the art gallery. So I'm not allowed on four different streets right now. <laughs> so I go and do my protesting a block away. Can you challenge this? Uh, well, once they throw this case out, then my conditions preventing me from walking in downtown Vancouver will also be gone. And then I plan to sue the police because they violated my rights. And I'll take that money and I'll funnel it into activism because this is honestly all I care about. I'm a 45 year old man. Um, I work when I can and I make a bit of money when I can, but there's nothing more important than the health and safety of our kids. And there's nothing more crazy that I've ever seen than the erasure of the definition of the word woman to include people with a penis. And I've got two little girls and I'm not comfortable sending them into this crazy world. So I'm going to fight for them. And now 
because I've met so many parents. Uh, I get really moved by these conversations that I have with these parents. And I'm going to keep fighting for them because they're not allowed to talk because their kids would cut them off. And, you know, it's just devastating for these people. So I believe that this will inspire people to take more action. And I think it's working. And I think, especially with parents, once they find out what's going on, and dads that, uh, boy, oh boy, these politicians better look out because we're not going to put up with this anymore. There's a serious lack of ethics all around here. I have suggested that there needs to be an accounting by media, by leaders in the public sphere, by leaders in the private sphere to include heads of medical boards, pharmaceutical companies. What are MPs in Canada doing about this? I'm, I'm sure most are not hearing it. I know around yeah. C16, I wrote many an MP and was blocked or I received yeah. very curt responses to my emails. So um, I think I probably misled you a little bit before. The current bill in legislation is Bill C6. The bill that passed a few years ago was Bill C-16, and Bill C-16 is the one about self-identification law. So Bill C-16 is what made it possible for sex offenders, rapists, to simply declare that they are now a woman and they're getting transferred into our women's penitentiaries. And I hadn't heard of that bill at the time because, of course, media never reported on what was going on. I only learned of Bill C-16 last year. But Bill C-6 is the current law, which is the conversion therapy law, where they conflate sexual orientation with gender identity. And they're going to make it a criminal offense for any professional therapist, any parent, anyone to convert a child's gender identity. And so what does that even mean? It means that if you do talk therapy with a child or watchful waiting, and you have a counseling practice treating gender dysphoric youth, it's simply a matter of time until a trans activist or a crazy parent comes for your business. And these counselors will be in court defending their practice facing up to five years in prison. So what this is going to do is put a chill on the entire profession. And then if you can't find counselors to treat mostly girls these days that are wanting to transition to boys, what's the option for these parents? These kids will end up in the gender clinics at children's hospitals where all they do is affirm these children. And to give you an example of how crazy things are, when I was in Ottawa just a few days ago, uh, a woman came out to have conversations with me and she told me about a 14-year-old girl that just went to the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. It was her first appointment. And in 20 minutes, she was prescribed Lupron, which is the puberty-blocking drug. Well, this has become all too common uh, throughout the Anglophone uh, sphere. We're seeing this in Australia, New Zealand, uh, Ireland. Tell me. Are any MPs suggesting support for what you're saying? Because in Canada, yeah. I'm seeing, you know, very little in the media that would suggest there's a gender critical movement on the rise as there has been, let's say, in the UK. Right. So Bill C-6, which hasn't passed into law yet, this conversion therapy bill, passed second reading. So when a bill becomes law in Canada, it goes through three readings. It passed second reading 
by a vote of 308 yes, seven no. All the no's were men, by the way. I just find that a little bit interesting. But even the Conservative Party completely failed. Only having seven people vote no is an absolute embarrassment. And I've met some Conservative politicians when I was there in November, and I met more this time. And I'm told that the Conservative Party is overwhelmingly going to vote no this time. But it doesn't matter because the Liberals and our new Democratic Party, which are even further left on the spectrum, they are all going to vote yes to this bill. So it'll pass, but at least now the Conservatives are waking up a bit. And I know, I spoke to a man uh, who's an executive assistant for a Conservative MP, and he arranged just a couple of weeks ago for someone to come in to speak about gender ideology to the entire Conservative caucus. So they're learning. And some of these uh, MPs that I spoke to and their assistants as well knew everything that's going on. This one man was extremely sharp and I didn't need to inform them of anything because they knew all about it. So that's encouraging. But what wasn't encouraging was he said, it's probably going to take us 10 years to unravel all of this. And so that's just not acceptable. We're not going to wait 10 years and have, you know, tens of thousands of kids go down this path of sterilization and double mastectomies and all that. What we really need to do is we need to sue. We need our own Kira Bell to come forward, but we need to sue and win because if we don't win and we set another bad precedent, it's a disaster. In BC, there was recently a 17 year old girl wanting to get a double mastectomy and the mom who I met just a couple of weeks ago, she, she came to visit me in downtown Vancouver. Uh, the mom succeeded for a little while in pausing this procedure. The courts put a stay on it, but then it went to a higher court and the higher court ruled that the lower court made a mistake. These matters had already been settled by precedent. And so the girl was able to go ahead and get her double mastectomy. Now, the good news is she hasn't done it yet. The mom is still able to talk with her daughter and the daughter's holding off for now. So that's really good. But the precedents are already set for that. I've spoken to moms in Toronto who reached out to me. Um, and this one mom, her 16-year-old daughter, went to Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto without her knowing. The hospital won't, of course, release any information to the mom. And this daughter's on a waiting list at 16 to get a double mastectomy. And she can do it without parental approval because she's deemed to be a mature minor. I read your tweet the other day about walking in front of parliament and hearing from a ballet teacher mm -hmm. about one of her yeah. students, 15, yeah. who is transitioning. Yeah, that's and a 15-year-old. At what age are girls getting double mastectomies in Canada? Well, without parental approval, they need to be 16, but they're getting them younger than that with parental approval. And I see these just absolutely disgusting tweets on Twitter and stuff where you see like 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds getting double mastectomies. And you can clearly tell these girls have some other mental health condition going on. It looks like they have autism or something and, and they get celebrated. They get totally celebrated for getting a double mastectomy by social media and all of their peers. So this is another huge part of this movement is it's not cool 
to just go through puberty anymore or just to be straight or lesbian or gay, you get completely celebrated when you come out as transgender. So kids that are having maybe a rough time in life, um, as soon as they come out as transgender, they get celebrated and they get love bombed. And this is kind of like a cult tactic that you'll see in all cults, all across humanity, is they get into this movement and they get a lot of love and it feels good. And you get those dopamine and serotonin hits and it feels great. And this is what happens with social media. So I keep telling parents, keep your kids off social media. It's such a danger because there are adults on there grooming these kids, coaching them how to talk to parents. And you might think your kid is just over in the kitchen uh, playing on the computer, but what, where they really are is in someone else's house getting coached and groomed and trained how to talk to their parents and how to deceive their parents. And they're getting into these communities and they're getting indoctrinated. And the brain is a fragile thing. It's, it's, it's really fragile. When you get steeped and plunged into a culture that continually teaches that this is normal and progressive and accepting and inclusive, and you're going to feel better about your body and all that. I mean, these kids, they end up believing it. And so no child on their own throughout humanity's history would ever, you know, as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old say that they're actually the other sex. They only think this because we're teaching it to them. Someone's teaching it to them. Unfortunately, our school systems are teaching it to them. But there's a million people online waiting to get your kids. Honestly, that sounds maybe a little extreme, but it's the truth. It's happening all over the place. Every single parent I talk to, there's always a social media element to their child's transition. And it's notable to me how many of these adults who are grooming these kids are getting away with what would otherwise be considered sexual grooming, predatory grooming. And it made me think just the other day about how autogynephilia has been well diagnosed. I think we've entered into the realm of a social media form of uh, autogynephilia in reverse, where grown men are able to legally talk about children's genitalia not be arrested for it, any other paradigm, and we'd see warrants issued. And mm -hmm. somehow this is okay. It's the creepiest thing I've witnessed in my lifetime, Chris, because yeah. we all know, like you might be my BFF, but I'm not gonna go into a woman's ba bathroom and say, hey, my friend, Chris, I know him since I was five, he's coming in, he's cool, he cool. No, mm -hmm. because the whole idea of sex segregation is based on the historical precedent and the present precedent that, in fact, males are the sex that tend to sexually harass and rape women, females. So it's, it's very insidious to be part of these social media discussions or even observer and see how people are saying, oh, but why can't we disrespect trans women's lives? And it's, you know, in the discourse of separate hospital or prison spaces. And there's something very pernicious about a movement which passes very badly, as we know, men just don't fare well as they identify as women. Uh, they are spotted by satellite 
as male, that they are now honing in on children to become their almost surrogate children of what I could have been if only I had been able to stop my bones, my facial structure from developing in a certain way. Is There's something very Frankensteinian about the ethos and the pure evilness behind what these grown men are doing to children, if you understand yeah. my logic here. I 100% do. I completely agree with your use of the word evil because there is evil in the world and this is it. And whenever something truly evil takes hold, it's never presented as evil because then it would never grab hold. It's always presented as good on the surface. And this is presented as diversity and inclusion and acceptance. But come on people, you gotta dig a little deeper beneath the surface and look at what's going on because Yes, this started as an autogynophilic movement, and it's like they're now trying to buy legitimacy for themselves by transitioning tens of thousands of kids all over the world and trying to turn this into a science. And it's just absolutely mental what's going on. And, uh, you know, let me tell you a really quick story here about this sort of thing. A mom in Coquitlam, which is another suburb of Vancouver, recently told me she's active on Twitter um, in the gender critical community. She's from England originally, which makes sense because these English women really know how to surf it up and they are having so much success uh, battling this evil ideology. Um, so I, I just love it because they have such a good energy that they bring to this. But her daughter came home and told her that the entire school was read a book by this children's author who is an autogynophile. And so I don't know this guy's name, I forget it, but he's written two books. One's called Rick, one is called George. And in this book, it's about a little boy who wants to be a girl. And one day, this little boy, a girl, sends him a pair of her panties. And so this little boy puts on these panties. And oh my goodness, they feel so light and airy. It was like wearing nothing at all. And the boy sits down on the toilet and he looks at his panties and they have little hearts on them. And he just finally felt like he belonged. And this is just this person writing about their own fetish and sexualizing it into a children's book. And the school paid this guy 650 bucks to read the book to the entire school. It's just, I don't even know the words for this. It's so disgusting and wrong, and it, but it's presented as, we're so inclusive and accepting. So like I always tell people, it really depends on the teacher that you get because teachers have a lot of autonomy. And if you get a super progressive or woke teacher, your kids are gonna be in trouble, but not all teachers are like that, of course. But even if your teacher isn't like one of these wokesters, it doesn't matter because the whole school is getting read this book. And that's going to impact some children. 
some children are going to think, yeah, I'm having a tough time with puberty or whatever. And it's being presented that I can just switch genders and my problems are going to go, go away. Well, if you give enough kids that option, the psychology is always the same. Some kids are going to take it. And that's why we're seeing every single school, more and more and more, almost always girls, transitioning. I heard about a, two more just the other day in one of my local schools here. And it's because the teacher is teaching gender ideology to the kids. They're putting this thought in the kids' brains. And well, the author of the book you mentioned is Alex Gina, who's from Staten Island. That's the one. That's the and one. this is uh, striking to me because there was pushback, as you recall, the you know drag queen story hour. And uh, you know, I, I'll admit, I I used to take my students after every semester at NYU. I take them out to a drag club to celebrate the end of the semester. But there was a difference back then as to what drag meant because we were watching men who really knew they were women and what transgender is, which is a completely, I mean, many drag queens will have nothing to do with this, right? Um, mm -hmm. And there's something really disturbing to me about how wokeness has filtered into the family circle in the sense of why are parents wanting to be rubber stamped both by their children and then having medical institutions in turn rubber stamp both them as good parents and their children as the opposite quote unquote sex said gender. And how is it that we are giving ourselves over to people like Alex Gino and drag time story hour with that blonde haired kid who was Trevor, I think his name was really young kids are being inculcated into something that is for adults. I mean, there's a reason why we say, mm, this isn't for children. And that's somehow being foisted upon us, parents who are concerned or adults who are concerned as being, we're somehow conservative. But yet I'm not at all conservative. I'm extremely leftist. And I view everything that we've been discussing in terms of these gender rehashings as something a throwback to the 1950s and even mm -hmm. to the you know auto de fe era of the middle ages i mean we're we're in the throes of a of a cult that has mm -hmm. a grip on our societies that is now able to threaten the livelihood the housing i mean there was an incident many years ago uh, i think four years ago in bristol at jam jar and the man who helped to organize this had his housing taken away over this i mean people are losing their livelihoods i can't tell you how many people i've interviewed for articles who have been fired who have been put on warning who have been harassed such that they had to leave their jobs and this is happening and somehow they're the ones and we are the ones being called right wing. And, you know, you've seen all the stuff out there about how any, any woman who's in disagreement with transgender ideology is thus a right wing Christian, where Christianity has yeah. not made entrance on the stage. I mean, not in my words, not in no. their words. Why is this being so badly represented by the media? You'll see this on the CBC as well. You'll see this on NPR um, in the States. Why? Are they not getting the facts out? Well, I mean, CBC, CTV, Global, our, those are all our mainstream media. 
they're just an absolute joke. They're ideologi they're ideologically driven. CBC is basically a crown corporation. They're totally funded by the government, and our government is fully in on this ideology. Justin Trudeau is a disaster when it comes to this. Um, I don't know why the mainstream media is the way it is, but it just is. And you brought up the Christian, um, how you know people automatically get labeled as you know far right religious extremists, Christians, whatever. But honestly, churches are doing nothing, <laughs> and they need to step up because they're well funded and they need to be speaking out. And I know they probably took a beating when some of these churches kind of tried to stop gay marriage and stuff like that. But this is a totally different issue. And this ideology is coming for our children and it's coming for our women. So we need Muslim people to speak up. We need Christian people to speak up. Where I live, there's a huge Punjabi community. We need them to speak up. We need all of these different groups to speak up because it affects all of us. It doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum. I myself, I would consider myself to be a centrist, I guess. But these days, everything's just so polarized and ideologically driven on every issue. Um, I don't know, you know, you just have to look at every issue with common sense and for some things with maybe a science-based approach for me anyway, and uh, make up your own mind. But man, the media are just completely captured. They won't report on anything. No media reported on this assault in Montreal. But can you imagine if I was a transgender person? My word, this would be on every single mainstream media outlet across the world. Because all we ever hear is about how they suffer so much violence. Yet when I've done research into this, I can't find it. And, you know, people talk about the murder rate, that the murder rate is so much higher for transgender individuals. It's a complete myth. In the United States of America, the murder rate is half that of the general population. And if you look into the 50 murders in the United States in the last year, a lot of them are done by loved ones. So these obviously aren't hate crimes and some of them have occurred during criminal acts. And you almost can't find a single hate crime that's responsible for the murder of a transgender individual. But most people don't do their research. So they just hear that, oh my goodness, transgender people are suffering so much violence and murder. And so they just assume that, you know, pe people like us are these giant bigots, but it's just not true. It's just all a lie. Just like the suicide stat, it's all a lie. Kids aren't killing themselves because we're not letting them transition. It's just not true. Politics in your area of the world, our prime minister, who's out to lunch on gender, he's totally missed the boat on all sides. And, and then you've got very few MPs speaking up yet about this, yet skip to when this all comes crumbling down, and it will. Um, I hypothesize it'll take some really fierce lawsuits. And, you know, this will be on the order of what happened to the tobacco industry. But when millions and billions start to be lost, it's only when we're going to see people saying, I had no idea. And I tell mm -hmm. people, screen cap away. Screen cap this brave and, you know, all of the Harry Potter actors who would be nobodies had it not oh been for Rowling. Gosh. 
They were all cheerleading, but notice the silence recently, ever since the Tavistock reports come on. And I'm dying to see what, you know, Emma Watson's going to say when this ball goes on the other side of the slope, and it will. Um, They can't feign not knowing. They can't feign calling a bunch of their followers transphobic. The evidence has been out there. So, you know, I'm just wondering what you foresee happening in Canada where you guys face the fiercest because you don't have the first amendment as we do in the States. Mm -hmm. You are, you have a higher bar to prove um, that you have the right to say something and not be guilty of libel or slander, for instance, in the cases of Yan even ogre. Mm -hmm. What do you see happening in Canada to get this pushback even stronger? Okay, so Bill C-6 is going to pass. Justin Trudeau has indicated he's going to call a spring election. And right now, they're going to win. They're absolutely going to win. The only opposition with any hope would be the Conservative Party, but they're at 24% in the polls. And uh, some politicians told me that Justin Trudeau is actually stalling on Bill C-6 because he wants to use this as a wedge issue when he calls the election. So they're gonna vote, have a vote on Bill C-6 shortly before the election. So then they can say, oh, look at the conservatives. They're such terrible bigots. They didn't even wanna ban conversion therapy. So they're playing politics with our children's bodies, which is beyond disgusting. And so they're gonna get another, he'll get another four year term. And Canada is just such a mess. We really don't have a true democracy because First of all, to even run for our political parties, you have to get the approval of, of course, the political leaders. And if you have any views that are seen as too controversial, they won't allow you to be in the party. Even in our conservative party, a man named Derek Sloan was recently booted out of the party. Why? Because he has some of his own opinions. And he is one of the men that voted no to Bill C-6. So... You know, we're just in such a mess. Once our uh, MPs get elected, they always just have to go along with their party leader. You know, in in the United States of America, you get Maverick. You get people in the Republican or Democratic parties who go against their party on certain issues. But you never get that up here. They All the liberals have to go along with Justin Trudeau or he'll just boot them out of the party. So this is not true democracy. They're not able to represent their constituents because the fact of the matter is way more than 80% of Canadians are against this gender identity, legislation, ideology, all of it. But we're not represented. Morgan Auger was not an elected official, yet he was appointed as the vice president of our provincial NDP party just because of identity politics, you know? And whenever this guy tweets something out, he'll get three likes and 300 comments to the negative. Like it's very clear that society does not support this, yet our politicians are ignoring all of us. During our last provincial election in October, I went over to Victoria and I was trying to meet with our minister of education. And on my way back to my hotel at night after a day of protesting or having conversations, I just happened upon the campaign headquarters for a couple ridings in Victoria. 
one of those ridings was the Minister of Education. So I pulled my car into the parking lot and I marched on inside to their building. And it was full of all these NDP people campaigning. And so there was another candidate there named Grace Lohr. She had a riding in Victoria. Um, our Minister of Education wasn't there at the time, but his campaign manager was. And so anyway, I just started talking to Grace about all of the different issues that gender ideology in our schools are leading to. All of the issues with children transitioning, the puberty blocking drugs, cross-sex hormones, everything. I got into the women's rights issues. And one by one, every single person in this room fell silent and they were just listening to me. And they let me run for like eight or nine minutes talking about all these different issues. And finally, I got to the issue with all these NDP people listening. <laughs> it was hilarious. I got to the issue of how we are actually sending male rapists. Of course, they're male. We are sending rapists who now self-identify as women into women's prisons. And as soon as I said that, which is true, and I speak very calmly and truthfully, as soon as I said that, a woman shut me down and said that they need to make this a safe space, then I was making them feel unsafe. Okay, so they booted me out. They took down my number for the Minister of Education to call me. He never did, of course. But so picture this. They just heard all this truth, all these truth bombs, which they know are true. And I went back the very next morning to see the Minister of Education and they'd locked me out. But what they had done is they had hung the transgender flag underneath the Minister of Education's political campaign poster to send a message to me that in spite of knowing all the harm that is coming to women and children, they stand with the transgender community. That's how ideologically captured these politicians are. They know the truth and they don't care because they know that if they speak out against any of this, they will get absolutely hammered by these violent, loud, screaming trans rights activists. It's, it's a rinse and repeat of what we're seeing everywhere. And it's, it's very disheartening. But what does um, bring lightness to my heart, at least, is to see the numbers of people growing who are saying no to this because my suspicion and it's already being proven correct at this point because we've just seen too many incidents is that people are beginning to wake up to see this on par with the old school gay conversion therapy electroshock therapy all that quackery of pseudoscience that was really over overused and used at all to treat non-conditions to uh, basically not address social problems. Uh, and here we have today all of the um, trans lobbyists coming out to say, well, this is just like what happened in the 50s with homosexuality. You're discriminating against us just like you were discriminated against. And this is what they did to guilt trip my community into letting that tea hitch its caboose on our wagon. Now we're seeing LGB alliances being formed everywhere saying tea is out. We have nothing to do with this. It's a very smart mm -hmm. move politically because 
my worry as a, a gay woman is that we're going to get really hellstorm and, and fire on us when this hits the fan. Because the gay movement did sit quietly by for years letting this happen. And there needs to be investigations as to how a complete myth was allowed to persevere from the 1950s with John Money. And I'm very angry yeah. about the fact that no one is talking about the fact that this man's cure, quote unquote, cure in, in quote, quote marks, of course, to a boy who was disfigured by a botched circumcision was to say, ah, let's just cut it all off, make him into a girl and we're good. Yeah. And that has become the model for treating yeah. men who are autogynophilic, treating gay men who from the 50s onward were struggling with homophobia within their own families and whose families often told them, oh, you're really a girl and who would accept them having sex with men as long as they would self-identify as the opposite sex. So none of this has been you know, discussed in a very plain and open manner. It's all been on the one hand, hyper medicalized through fake science, not science at all. And on the other, advocacy. It's no wonder that advocacy has taken hold of the Diagnostic Statistics Manual re rewritings every time it's rescripted and the medical industry. Because of course you're gonna have the Pritzkers of the world putting money into the lobby. That's all they've got. And here we have WPATH formed on the basis of a very fake a strategy. And this was not, this is not a, an unbiased medical board. This is a failed group of physicians and practitioners and gender consultants who wanted to keep getting money after 1979 saw the closing of the John Hopkins gender clinic. It all fell in line and you can trace it. Harry Benjamin, John Money, 1979, John Hopkins closes its stores. WPATH is created all the way through to groups like mermaids and the mermaids everywhere around the planet in the neighborhood near you telling parents the most 13th century thing that we could ever imagine hearing, which is your child's inner spirit. Jesus said your child is the opposite. You might as well be saying that. And so I applaud you for getting arrested. I'm very sorry you got your arm broken. And I hope that more light is shed on this. But I'm concerned about the ways in which now school systems have allowed these advocates to come in and pollute the curriculum with absolute garbage, where in Canada, they would not be allowed to teach Jesus, would they? Oh, no, no, of course not. And so, you know, I caused a stir in my local community in my local school one day, because I made a post in my Facebook group in my community Facebook group, and I posted the, one of the lesson plans for kindergartners where they practice their pronouns. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting kicked out of the Facebook group, of course, but I went to meet with the principal uh, the very next morning on a Monday morning because I had said in this Facebook group, I said, look, I am going to go around my community and I am just going to deliver the gender identity lesson plan that can be taught to our kids. And these people said, if you come to my house, I'm calling the police. Like, I'm just gonna drop off the gender identity lesson plans so parents know what our kids can be taught. And of course, people complained to the principal. So the very next morning I met with his principal and he'd already heard. And I talked to the principal for 45 minutes in the parking lot. And 
I told them again, everything that's going on, all these issues we've talked about today. And I could tell this principal the problem. All he cares about is getting angry phone calls from parents. And he told me literally that if I take the approved lesson plans around to the community, that I would be frightening the community. <laughs> oh man, like, of course he's coming from this angle that uh, people are gonna think I'm this terrible bigot. But I just said, wait, 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 let me get this straight. If I show parents what our kids are getting taught, you're really concerned because I'll be frightening the community. Clearly we have a problem here. If I can't even show parents what the school lesson plans are. So he was a huge problem. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, if you're against what I'm doing, what you're doing, what all these other people are doing, uh, you're an enemy to our kids and you're a danger to our kids. And so um, I got this crazy idea and I went home and I looked up every single school trustee in all of the cities around Vancouver. And I looked up all the superintendents for the school district. And then I found every Twitter account for all these people, the ones that had Twitter accounts. And I wrote this really long thread. And in this thread on Twitter, I tagged every single school trustee I could find. And I stayed up all night and I recruited mostly people from the UK to just help me out and share with all these trustees and superintendents the true stories of what's going on. Because it's the, it's the trustees that are responsible for all the school materials, technically, that are in our school districts. Um, of course, it's really the Ministry of Education. But anyway, I'll get in. I don't need to get into all the, the nitty gritty. But when all these school trustees woke up the next morning, they all had hundreds of notifications on their Twitter account. So they all became informed of exactly what's happening. And the school district then reached out to me for a meeting. So I had this meeting with two of the heads of my school district for about an hour. There was a woman and a man. And I laid out everything that's going on. And three times during this meeting, the woman teared up. So she got it. And the man, he was a Punjabi man. He fully got it. And they'd done their research on me too. They, they, they came well prepared. But... Uh, there's nothing they could do. They told me go meet with the Minister of Education, which I then tried to do, and we all know how that worked out. But, uh, you know, we're kind of helpless because no one takes responsibility for it. No one says they can do anything. The, the government refuses to listen. And uh, so, again, my theory was, okay, forget the government. You guys suck. I'll just start telling parents individually because you guys aren't going to, the government's not going to help. So the very least I can do is inform parents. And when parents know, then they're able to protect their kids from this ideology. And I've already seen it. I've had a woman came up to me downtown Vancouver and um, I'm not tooting my own horn here. I'm just, what she told me was uh, that because of some of the activism I'd been doing, she bought Abigail Schreier's book because I talked about that book a lot because her niece, out in Chilliwack was wanting to transition. And she bought Abigail Schreier's book and she gave it to her sister and their whole family read that book. 
and the daughter no, now no longer wants to transition. So that was a win. That's a big win because that is one girl potentially saved from irreparable harm. And I'm, I just, I believe eventually, you know, I'll never hear about a lot of the stuff that goes on, but I just, I think just having conversations with people in real life, we have to be brave. We have to have these conversations because conversations beget conversations. And if I talk to some parents and then they talk to five parents each, I believe that eventually just being persistent with this street activism, that we reach enough people and we get enough parents really angry and we get enough women angry, we get enough men angry and we all work together and we have to shift the balance of power because right now the power rests totally with these transgender activists who frighten our politicians into doing things they know are wrong because they're cowardly politicians. And so I believe if we just keep going, we just keep raising awareness. I just have faith that someone will be able to do something about this. I know we are building awareness. Everyone's building awareness. So many people are working at it, but I don't want us to get too confident because what I see on the streets still in Canada is the transgender movement is gaining speed way faster still than we're creating awareness. And it is frightening the amount of young women and men, but it's mostly young women who have been captured by this ideology or they're empathetic to it because they all have girlfriends who are transitioning and they firmly believe that we can just switch our sex. And it is so widespread. It just frightens me. And it just drives me more and more to keep getting out there because this is a deadly serious activity. This is life and death. This is our kids. This is their health. This is their future sexual function, sterilizing them. And we can't let this continue. So yeah, we all just have to keep going.